Hello, I'm Andrew Suskind, and I'm a psychotherapist and author based in West Los Angeles since 1992, specializing in trauma and addictions. Welcome to our podcast, which I call It's Not About the Sex, also the title of my recent book. Here we focus on all topics related to compulsive sexual behavior, often referred to as sex addiction. In particular, we explore ways to build long-term sustainable recovery while establishing more meaningful connection and greater intimacy. Our intention is to offer fresh viewpoints, brand new perspectives, and practical user-friendly tools toward living a more deeply connected life. Let's get started. Today we have our guest, Deborah Kaplan, who is going to be speaking with us about sex, money, and power. Deborah Kaplan is a licensed therapist, author, and speaker. Her first book, For Love and Money, Exploring Sexual and Financial Betrayal in Relationships, was released in 2013. Her latest book, Battle of the Titans, Mastering the Forces of Sex, Money, and Power in Relationships, was released in 2020. Deborah is based in Tucson, Arizona, and works with clients all around the world. Thank you so much for being with us today, Deborah. Thank you, Andrew. I'm delighted to be here, actually. Very delighted. Well, it's a pleasure having you. And I always enjoy meeting comrades who are here to, to talk about things that really come from uh, your perspective and from your expertise. And I'm really interested in this particular topic because I don't hear many people talking about it. And so this is fantastic because I think our listening audience is in for a treat. Thank you. Yeah, it. I was drawn and am drawn to this both because of my upbringing and listening, watching my parents argue about money and their their fights, their Herculean fights, and then becoming involved with Wall Street, where I was a trader, a commodity option trader for many years, and then I became a therapist. And it was in therapy, in these sessions with clients, that they'd come in and start talking about arguments about sex that led me to work with sexual health, sexual addiction, compulsivity and betrayal. But then the money piece came in and I realized that a lot had been written about sex, a lot had been written about money, but nowhere could I really find how and what I could give clients as a resource for sex and money and the power dynamic. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, both of you and I, we work with clients that come into our offices and we're all human. We argue about how to go about life, how to make this relationship work, who's going to take care of the kids, who's going to pick up the dry cleaning and, and, and so forth. And the arguments that really spill over from behind closed doors and when they finally come into our sessions is sexual differences, disparity of interest, uh, desire versus what one partner or significant other may want, betrayal, compulsivity. And then often, I don't know about you, but I find that we may talk about sex a lot and what may drive that at times is money arguments and the discontent or the dis-ease, the discomfort around money that many people don't talk about and yet are very destructive mm -hmm. to the relationship. 
And my hunch is that everybody listening can relate to conflicts over money and also conflicts over sex, right? We can, we can look at the positive aspects of these things in our life, but they often are big ticket items when it comes to what people tend to argue about and have a lot of difficulty really talking about in, in a way that's safe and productive. When um, you or, or a client or you're in session, we're in session and we're talking about sex, yes, we may be talking about sexual behavior, we are also talking about what sex means, the significance of sex and our sexual intimacy, the significance of or the power of how important sex is to one or other of the coupleship. And if it's an open relationship, how that will be navigated, shared, or even discussed. The other very strong dimension of a relationship is money. And we can't treat them as separate silos because they're inextricably tied within a relationship. No sooner could a couple walk into the bedroom, have an argument uh, or, or go to sleep without having an argument and, and believe that they can park it outside the bedroom and not bring their discontent or their concerns about money and park it outside the bedroom and think their sexual intimacy won't be impacted. Mm -hmm. These are forces, two dimensions that create the dynamic in the relationship that when I'm working with clients, I bring right into the therapy session and ask them to discuss what does sex and money mean to each of them. Absolutely. Let's really take a look at, at what we're here to talk about today, which is the, the what you call the forces of sex, money, and power. So can you talk more about what that really means? Absolutely, correct. Because you can, you, I may ask you, what does money mean? What is healthy sex? What does power mean? It's different for everybody. And I cannot slip into somebody's skin or experience and believe that I know what it is that money or even power struggles infer for them. And so I do start the dialogue with, please share with me individually and as a couple, how do you talk about money? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to you? And when I say money, Andrew, I'm also talking about deprivation, scarcity, uh, abundance, and feeling like one feel is living in scarcity financially, but that may be compensated for sexually in abundance. And the interchange is fascinating. So what I'm hearing you say is that you never assume what their relationship to money is or what their relationship to sex is, but you really open the dialogue and open the conversation so that they can have an honest opportunity to, to really define it for themselves. Is that right? They overlap as well as the struggles about what is sexually healthy for us and what yeah. is financial health for us. Again, two people come together in a relationship and I'm going to make it a dyadic relationship for simplicity purposes in our conversation. It gets even more exponentially difficult when you keep adding people to the equation. Um, but what two people may prefer in regards to sexual behavior or betrayal, where it comes into the relationship introduced by way of compulsivity or addiction, um, 
that has to be negotiated and talked about, as does what means financial health for, for uh, Joe or Joe's partner. And I often ask clients, please share with me what your experience growing up in the family of origin and through the lifespan, what does money mean to you? How was it handled? What does self-worth mean for you and where and what is it wrapped up in? And uh, that also includes conversations about sex. And I just wanted to mention that I heard you use the term sexual health. And a, a lot of our listeners have a pretty good sense about what that means from the podcasts. But in a sense, what I'm hearing you start to talk about today is sexual health and financial health and how they overlap. Yeah, and I asked them to bring an argument into the session. I want to see them argue. I want to hear as a fly on the wall, mm -hmm. what are your arguments about uh, money or sex or what do you argue about? I don't even ask them to define it. Just tell me, what do you argue about? I don't have to uh, wait very mm -hmm. long before I hear the elements and the threads and I can pull on them and start to really get a sense conceptually of how this couple is working together or against the other. It's fantastic. So really from the get-go, you're setting the tone for them to really be able to talk about these areas that they may have never discussed in this particular way. The first request I have of couples when they walk in the office is to ask themselves and give themselves permission to air what is most discontent for them, while at the same time suspending a decision to leave the relationship until they have worked through some of the issues we will tackle. Because if they're one foot in and one foot out, then it's very tough to really get a sense about how invested, pun intended, are they in the outcome of this work? This therapy work is very difficult. And for anyone listening in the audience, conceptually, if you've been in therapy or they have wanted to come in, it's probably the toughest work anyone can do. And so I asked the couple to give themselves permission to stay invested in the work we're doing until they have really decided that this relationship is not for them or that they can't be heard and understood by their partner in the way they need to feel felt and seen. And as it pertains to discontent, disagreements, arguments, power struggles about sex and money, um, but I'm gonna introduce a new term here, relational currency, feeling valued and relational currency I define as what one believes they value in the relationship and of the other person, their partner, the significant other, and how do they feel valued? What is the currency? What do they bring to the relationship? It sounds very transactional, but what I'm really referencing is what's important to me? What's important to you, partner? And how are we going to make sure our needs are heard? Sure. So as we're beginning to speak about this, I really feel your passion for working with couples. And I wonder how can couples successfully master these forces in their relationships? I want to know, does the couple recognize there's an imbalance of power? When you ask that question, what comes to mind is you're also talking about values, right? We're not talking about surfacy, 
superficial ideas. We're talking about what matters most to people. And those kinds of questions don't get asked very often, right? And so one of the things I, I wonder about is, so let's say there's an imbalance in, in the relationship, an imbalance of power, then what? How do you handle that kind of situation? I may observe that imbalance. It may not be known by the two individuals. If I, if I can share a personal story. Please. Uh, when I was writing Battle of the Titans, my mom called me one night. She's 92. Mm. She called me one night and she said, so how is the book going? And I said, it's, it's going well. This was uh, some time back. And she said, when are you going to ask me at all about your dad, your father's and my marriage? And I said, well, actually, I wasn't mom uh, because it's from my perspective. Uh-huh. And I said, you know, dad was very controlling with money. You were resentful. And that was the basis of the arguments mm. to which she said, Andrew, mm-hmm. well, actually, I was very controlling, but I was very passive and I did not want to engage, which meant he could only control as much as I was willing to engage. That was a showstopper. <laughs> I sat down, I asked her, can I? Can I include most, if not all, of what we end up talking about? She said, absolutely. And what what I realized was she knew what was happening Mm -hmm. and chose to control by way of not engaging. Mm -hmm. I did not see that. It was not obvious to me. I'm not sure. My dad has long passed. I don't know. I can't check it out with him. But Mm -hmm. what it helped me really understand is that couples engage in their dance their power struggles. But like all of us, there are parts of ourselves we see and and recognize and others recognize in us and some things we don't get, we don't see. And as therapists, our observer, our mirror, and to reflect back to clients. So I ask them, what is it that they're realizing or perhaps observing in that moment in therapy? And I will introduce my observation and check it out with them. If it's a strong enough observation and they're both very obstinate and don't want to relinquish any emotional mm-hmm. territory because they're fighting for who's right, well, then I'm going to give my impression and say, this is what I see. Now, what would you both like to do about it if what, what I'm observing resonates for you? Mm-hmm. And I help them uh, navigate what it is they want as an outcome. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're helping them determine what they're therapeutic direction really is yeah if if i come in and i introduce what i believe should happen Mm -hmm. then they're not recognizing where they are either disempowering themselves Mm -hmm. or overly um overly empowering and controlling that has to be made conscious and then negotiated and and understood Mm -hmm. right you know, when you were talking about your mother and the conversation with her, which I think is fantastic at age 92 to be able to be so candid, I, I was just thinking about the generational hand-me-downs that we all receive. And some of them are more conscious and some of them are more unconscious. And some of them are based on stories that we think we know. And some of them are based on stories that we make up. And, and, and so how terrific that you were able to learn that about your parents, right, which has to do with your own childhood blueprint, 
and and to my guess is to integrate that into your prior knowledge, but also to take a look at yourself, which is what, of course, we do as therapists, hopefully, uh, so that we can come into the, the therapy room clean and boundaried and all that. But but that's wonderful. I mean, can you say anything else? Would you be willing to share what what that sparked for you after that conversation? Absolutely. Um, it turned my head around. Yeah. I mean, it stopped me cold because what I had observed all these years was very different from the backseat of our DeSoto. <laughs> and that, that, that dates me, so I don't even know how old I am. Um, but from the back seat, sitting in the middle position of three children, and I was sitting, and I am a middle child, I was watching, I had a lens into my parents' marriage, and it seemed like the control was from my father's side. My mother was controlling from the passive-aggressive quiet side, which taught me so much years later about working with couples. The one that makes all the noise may not be the one doing all the controlling. <laughs> and it has taught me a wonderful lesson to look at all parts of the, a relationship and not just the things that catch my attention. Right. No, it's, it's fantastic because I, I just am reminded about the, the layers and layers that we get to excavate with our clients. And sex and money just don't get talked about. And generationally, I, I hope we're learning more and more about how to do that, but it's still very glacial, it seems. When Annie, you're right. And any discussion about money and intergenerational messages, any discussion about sex and the intergenerational messages are as relevant to the conversation as what's happening in the current day. Because what the underlying drivers or dimensions that may be the, the tail that wags the dog um, are so relevant, they have to be taken into consideration. They have a seat at the proverbial table. And in this regard, when couples argue or have a power dynamic around not enough sex, too much sex, sexual betrayal, and getting retaliation. Well, you're having an affair and I'm angry, so I'm going to go spend money over here. I absolutely want to know what is operating, who is in the room with us, and to that end, in that nuanced way, who is in bed with them, not just the affair partners or the sexual acting out, but what family members are in bed with that couple who are perhaps doing more of the controlling or manipulation from the past mm -hmm. because it's very relevant. And that's where couples work gets mm -hmm. so complex and where folks like yourself and I who work with in, with, uh, in therapy mm -hmm. help them see what they may not be able to see for themselves. Right, right, the blind spots, yeah. Yeah, so let's shift to your book because I'm really fascinated with the title in itself. I have never heard of um, your book until, until now and I'm excited to know about it. Again, it's called Battle of the Titans, Mastering the Forces of Sex, Money and Power in Relationships. So how does your particular book differ from other relationship books? My book differs in that 
um, a lot of couples books will talk about communication and they're wonderful. And anyone who comes to want to work or address their power dynamics with sex and money have to be willing to listen and hear as well as talk. And what makes my book somewhat different is that I'm weaving into this my personal perspective of what I learned growing up. And there's a sexual component to it as well. In addition to the therapeutic narrative and um, all hanging on the frame of Greek mythology. Oh. Because as very convoluted as all that may <laughs> sound, you know, nowhere can we get a better description of power dynamics than in the earliest of Greek mythological storytelling. Mm. And many of the narratives that I have brought into the book help clients disinter whether we're talking about financial control, exploitation, um, where the currency, the self-worth, and how power and control can be viewed or misinterpreted, I can only be controlled as much as I'm willing to let someone control me. <laughs> if I'm in a situation where there's exploitation or some very much more darker elements, that's another story. But healthy relationships are built on empowered partners. And teaching, which is part of what Battle of the Titans is about, is teaching mm -hmm. people self-empowerment mm -hmm. and how to bring that authentically into their self, their own life, and their relationship. That really touches me because on a personal note, I feel like that's been a lifelong process. And the idea of self-empowerment, finding your voice, being fully yourself, feels to me like one of the keys to a vibrant relationship. Yeah, I'm shaking my head quietly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the audience cannot see or hear that, but uh, yeah. um, you're absolutely yeah. right. Because this is what brings passion into a relationship, feeling honored and, and honoring oneself. And no one, very few couples have I ever met have wanted to be the person who's in control any more than the person who wants to be controlled. It's a give and a take. So one thing I didn't mention before in your um, introduction is that you not only are a licensed therapist, but you're a certified sex addiction therapist and supervisor, as well as an MBA. And so I wanna make sure that everybody knows that you are multifaceted and as part of that, how did you make your way from Wall Street to psychotherapy? I'll be as succinct as I can, but it happened on the trading floor. I used to be a commodity option trader. And back when the very earliest desert storm went in the Kuwaiti war, Kuwaiti invasion, James Baker was meeting with Tarek Aziz in Geneva, the Geneva Peace Accords. At that time, James Baker walked out of the Geneva Peace Accords and said, regrettably, we cannot reach an agreement. But on the words of regrettably, the oil markets around the world were shook because nobody thought that that invasion would happen. The oil market mm -hmm. on the commodity exchange where I was trading uh, a different commodity had uh, just heard the news and it rocked the markets. And as I watched the emotion of the markets take off, 
it was in that very moment that I said, one day I'm going to be involved with psychology. I don't know how, because I stopped being interested in trading in that very moment and was fascinated by human dynamics. Mm -hmm. And many years later, through my own recovery, and then eventually transitioning to be a therapist and working with sex and money, I've brought them all full circle. But that's, that was the moment it all came together. Wow. So the emotions of Wall Street, I, I, it almost sounds like an oxymoron, but I hear what you're saying, that it was a moment that turned out to be uh, just, it changed your life, basically. It was a historical moment in time for yeah. the world, but on a personal level, it was where I recognized the power of emotions, despite the fact that when we talk about money, we don't talk about emotions on mm. in a trading perspective because mm -hmm. money has no emotions. We bring the emotion behind the money. And that's what struck me as absolutely fascinating. And that's what I dig into with my clients because I hear it in them and that's what I see. Sure. No, I love that 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 Wall Street was a catalyst for you to soul search and, and ask yourself, how, how am I going to help others in, in a different way? And can you say something about how that all kind of took shape in terms of sex and money and power? Yes. Um, it would probably take longer than this podcast has time for. And if mm -hmm. ever, I'd be more than glad to come back. My own personal recovery, uh, I, I'm in recovery for sex and love addiction, 21 plus years. And it was at the time that I realized I want to look at my sense, my relationship and my relationship to people and with people, with sex, with love, uh, helped me really see that I had some deeper work to do. The real threads and genesis of how I came to relate to people begins back mm -hmm. with my relationship with my father, because I was his emotional spouse, mm -hmm. where my mom would exit the marriage emotionally, psychologically, I kind of stepped in and that enmeshment taught me a lot about power. It also taught me a lot about relationship and not always in a healthy way, because I was very falsely empowered. As I worked through that, I recognized that my time on Wall Street was very much uh, exciting, but I also realized that that was seeped in power and the power that it brought being around the positions that I held and, and the positions that I had. Um, in my recovery, I realized how impactful doing this introspective work was for me and that I wanted to work with couples and others in the way that I had benefited and hoped that I could kind of be that agent change, that channel and, and afford and hold space for others looking at these dimensions in their own lives. Beautiful. Well, you're absolutely a mirror for me because I'm going on 27 years in recovery. And I also was the emotional spouse for my mother. And so Wow, <laughs> that's realistic. Yeah, I know. Well, it's that's why we're meeting today. You know, we're we're, we're here for a reason. But I but I say all that because I, I think that's what gives us a core understanding of what the suffering is like, and and that um, I really hear how you're offering a particular kind of healing 
You know, we, we hear about sexual healing, but I don't always hear about financial healing. I know that Debtors Anonymous and other sources work on, on healing, but to, to bridge the two just feels very powerful and very much in, in sync with what each and every one of us deals with. So I, I just want to share that it, I've, I've actually never spoken to a colleague who has so eloquently brought together the, the two pieces. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that. And I'm honored. And um, the, the greatest, I guess, moment, uh, uh, motivation for this work and writing the books that I did was for my clients. Because I thought, you know, if someone can bring them together and my clients have a resource, great. And uh, had I stumbled upon these books and I had not been the author, I would have wished I was. And that is the only reason I really wrote them and the reason that I love doing this work because it is so impactful and we can't treat them like separate silos. They're inextricably uh, blended and threaded in many of our lives, whether it's about the disempowerment or the over-empowerment, the undervaluing or overvaluing of external sex and money within and outside a relationship. And it's so complex, but beautiful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So part of what I hear you alluding to is it's really about right-sizing, right? It's not about being one up or one down, but, but how can we be who we are fully and have uh, an experience of sex and money that that is something that hopefully can be peaceful and calm and grounded and all that good stuff not that we can stay there all the time but but that's just part of what I think I'm picking up on is that accurate you said it beautifully yeah great absolutely yeah beautiful so, so let me repeat the name of the book because I think it's such an awesome title battle of the titans Mastering the Forces of Sex, Money, and Power in Relationships. And, and how can our listeners get a hold of your book, Deborah? Uh, I'm on the uh, online booksellers, and they could find it at bookstores, um, but they'll probably have to order it. It is clearly a niche market. It's not a, <laughs> it's not a major seller, although the, the aspects of the book are touch everyone's lives in one way or another. Um, and so they can find it online, and they can find it at booksellers, and they can order it as well. Sure, sure. And I just want to share uh, Deborah's contact information. Her website, which is very informative, is www.debrah, D-E-B-R-A, Kaplan, K-A-P-L-A-N, counseling.com. And the email is info at counseling.com And all of that information will also be um, listed with the podcast um, that's on Spotify and iTunes and all that good stuff. And anything else, Deborah, that you would like to share that that maybe you'd like our our listeners to take with them from today's podcast? That a healthy relationship, if there's a power differential, does not need to end, and that power is really about self authentic power, self empowerment not being controlled or controlling. And that sex and money can both be very healthy and they can be enjoyed, um, but it has to be shared and it has to be a conversation that both partners have. Beautiful. So on that note, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. You're welcome, I'm honored. So thank you, Andrew.
Thank you for listening today. It was so terrific sharing the time with my colleague, Deborah Kaplan, and discussing this really vital topic that affects those affected by compulsive sexual behavior. She could be reached through her website at DebraKaplanCounseling.com. Be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes, or please share our podcast on Spotify. And if there are topics you would like us to discuss in the future, just let us know. I look forward to you joining us on future podcasts, and thanks again for being with us today.